but I think it was just a good ending of that story. What we had built was of value to another um, startup who was exactly venture into that space um, as well. Um, it's crazy because I mean, years and years after, like it's now that we are, I think we're now seeing people be able to like scratch the surface in that sector. When I say sector, I mean online food delivery. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Build by Visible. I'm Yemi as always, and I'm joined with Dami. And we have an amazing guest for you today. His name is Uluakayode Nubi. And I'd let him do a personal introduction. Uluakayode, can you tell us more about yourself? That's so, so, so weird. Last time I called Uluakayode like that was, you know, my mom when I was like in trouble or something, like, Uluakayode, come here. Um, um, so yeah, some traumatic feelings. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my name is uh, yeah Kayode Nubi. I go by Nubi K. I currently lead startups programs at Paystack, and I also run an entity. Uh, sorry, I run a, a syndicate, a club, or yeah, a community of operators and creators who want to back early stage startups, capital, and talent and skill and network. It's called Hope. We've been doing that for about about two and a half years now, and um, so far so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ask Can you share maybe a bit on how you got into the tech space in the first place? What made you get into tech? And then what your journey has been like? There's a long version and there's a short version of this. Which one do you want to hear? Let's start with the short yes. version. I'm sure we'll get to the longer version through the conversation. So I could go all the way back to primary school. But yeah, I think I'll give credit to my parents there. So my dad and my mom had this... Um, SCN over scholarship or like fellowship, sorry, not scholarship, fellowship, where they actually traveled the length and breadth of the US uh, a while back. And they came back and they were like, oh, wow, we have to really grant our children in three things. First, travel, second, technology, computers, and third, music. And so we're looking to actually, like, again, get exposed to technology very, very early uh, through learning software. So during the holidays, we'll learn like Corel Draw and Microsoft Paint and typing and things like that. Marvin Baker on the that was what the software is called. And then we also spent summers like dismantling and assembling computers like CPU and hardware and stuff. And um, that, that was the start of it. We were like, oh, wow, this is really cool to see a motherboard power, again, our computes and all. Um, and then fast forward going to Turkey where I did my undergrad, uh, I got exposed to the internet. So like, I mean, the internet economy, if you will. Um, so we we're buying and trading online. And I was like, wow, this is really fascinating. Came back to Nigeria and started blogging about technology with Otech Bits, Tech Cabal back then. And then I went from, okay, do I want to be a, a reporter or a spectator in this now? Do I want to participate? And so jumped into actually co-founding my first startup. Lazy Appetite turned Easy Appetite at the time. And then, yeah, built that, built that. It was hard, made a lot of mistakes. Went to grad school, came back from grad school and decided not to do it again, but instead share for people who are who have the guts and courage to do so. And so right now, as an operator and investor, it's really about supporting those who have the courage and uh, are taking the bold move to to build ventures. Yeah, it just took me down memory lane, like Coral Draw. (laughs) And Carter, and Carter Kids, man. That's really amazing. Uh, You really, like, you really, you don't walk out. (laughs) You look across. (laughs) 
you can really see that i'm really excited for this conversation because like this just means that you're gonna have a lot of gems to share Mm -hmm. so at least when i got to learn about you and amazing work that you're doing i kind of started learning about that from like the investor point of view and i feel like not so many people um know about you know your founder your founder experience and so i'm very curious to know like you know what was that experience like you know founding a product building it out and then you know just deciding to just like put that aside and maybe just go back to operator life yeah 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 i, I think it was i mean it's one express i would never regret or trade the one thing i do throughout my career as an operator is that empathy being able to empathize with builders <laughs> because you know like yes you can talk or you don't talk about like yeah founders doing this founders doing that but if you've not been in their shoes if you've not actually built something and gone through the ups and downs of that like you can just speculate and and throw assumptions to the board so again i was into i've gotten exposed to technology very early i went to turkey where i did my undergrad I'd seen eBay and similar, like being able to order food online, being able to buy things online. I think luck also had to do, but the timing of it as well, coming back to Nigeria and seeing the e-commerce starting to take off, it was back with Sabunta and Kasua, who then merged to become an internet premier. And we had Clue Clue from Napster back then. We had Deal Day. And so the timing of it was like perfect to say, okay, everybody was starting to like sell things online uh, until our gadgets back then at CC Hub as well. So we were selling phones, shoes, clothes, books, different things, but there was just a gap for food. Nobody was selling food. And I was like, well, everybody eats, right? And and so that was the opportunity that we saw. Um, me and my co-founder back then, Dejo Paula, were both in the University of Lagos. I, I had a brief stint in the lag before I went to Turkey. So we said, let's actually put this together. Let's like just put a pitch deck together, talk to a couple of restaurants, see if we build this, would they want to get featured? And so we just like put a deck, a 10-slide deck, problem solution opportunity how, like again business model mock-ups of what the product would look like and just hit the streets and we were able to get out like first 10 restaurants to say yes if you build it we would we would engage and from there we are we got two other friends shopway and um, kunle who came on board to build the front end and the back end of the solution and yeah i mean we went on from there to acquire more, more restaurants more customers doing things that don't scale, using Twitter and this ground tooled um, customers of our competitors, acquiring them, exceptional service, optimizing our products for mobile, mobile web. I mean, we're using like your BlackBerry browser back in those days to order food online. So you have to really be a good experience. So we did a lot of things that did work. We did a lot of mistakes as well. <laughs> and I I, did, I do blog extensively about this, the good, bad, and ugly from my experience with my first startup on Medium. So it was a lot of learning and it was like, okay, I think we've made a lot of mistakes here. It's better for me to go learn this properly. And so I decided to opt in for a business school experience. And um, we're lucky because um, Max.ng at the time wanted to go into food. And so they acquired Easy Appetite to launch Max Eats. And my co-founder, Deji, joined as a CMO for Max at the time. Um, unfortunately, they shelved the idea eventually. But at least that was a good ending to the story. And um, yeah, I came to Ireland for business school with the plans of actually doing that for one year and then going back into startups. But like they say, man plans and God laughs. Um, Ten years later, I'm still in Dublin. Man proposes, God disposes. <laughs> Interesting. So you're not just an ex-founder, you're an exited founder. Exited founder. Yeah, I was just going to dive into that. Like That's like a, a gem, in, especially in our ecosystem. And even like some of the companies that you mentioned, 
or companies that like I ever heard about all these things. It's really amazing to see just like how far back you like how far back your experience reaches. It's just really amazing. And so for me, I'm a little curious to know like you what was your experience um transitioning from founder to operator life? Like it must have been different. Like how were you able to kind of, you know, I mean, it wasn't intentional. It was very, very much just being open to opportunities. So like I said, I'd come to Dublin to do a one-year master's in innovation management and entrepreneurship, which when people graduate from that, they either go become founders or they become like PMs um, in, a, in a startup or again, consulting as a possible path as well. Uh, and so while in grad school, I just saw the opportunity to actually join Accenture on the back of winning a an entrepreneurship competition and so i was like wow like why would i want to say no to this um six months in fact it was actually first like oh go build the idea it was meant to be like a startup and we tried building it but then there were some like just blockers around just api dependencies and partnerships and just business model in general uh, and so i just said okay this did not work so would you like to do an internship with us for six months and i was like of course like it's accenture um so did that and then it became a full-time job i got exposed to a lot of financial services and, and that was where i actually like got exposed to fintech for the first time because accenture was actually running a fintech innovation lab at the time where fintechs would come in pitch their products to accenture get advice get them as clients as well and i was like huh this fintech thing is quite interesting because <laughs> Flashback like three, four years before, I knew how hard it was to integrate payment into into Easy Appetite. Easy Appetite, we had to work with. I think it was a bank. We had to get APIs from them, be in the sandbox for two to four weeks. Um, a lot of like printing of paper and documents, going to their office branch. I mean, it, it took like months to actually turn on test payment before even going to live payments. And here I was, and people could say with an email address in minutes, you could start taking payments from anywhere in the world. And so that really blew my mind. I think it was like a um um like like wow this is actually going to be different it's actually going to really fast track entrepreneurship uh, on the continent and um from accenture i started looking for like opportunities i would make a case and stripe came along and joined stripe like in 20, 2016 and the goal was like yes eventually stripe emia based in dublin would cover europe middle east and africa and so so eventually we'll go to africa v so that was the hope and but then in 2020 stripe acquired paystack um and i was like ah it's like these Stripe guys don't want to go to africa themselves so might as well look for opportunities to like jump ship and um yeah made that switch and so like to your question, it was just more of being open to opportunity. It wasn't like an intentional thing of like, oh, I want to go. In fact, I wanted to go back to being a founder after my exit and being in business school. But again, opportunity came to develop as an operator and that opened me to fintech and then fintech me to even more opportunities to engage with startups. Because at Stripe, I was able to like, again, work with startups, support startups. And um, yeah, that, that led to like, okay, how else can we support startups beyond knowledge and network? And of course, capital is is a big, big one. And so, yeah, I was like, how can we make that happen? And then entered April 2020, Hope was born. Feels like the story written in the stars. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Hope, but I feel we'll do the audience a huge disservice if we don't spend a bit more time just learning about your exit process and not going too deep into it. But if you can share thoughts around how it felt when the exit opportunity first came to play, maybe just take us through that journey and then how you were able to break through the other side. Just because I know some founders are very against the idea of acquisitions. They're like, what's this? 
Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, I won't be in a position to answer that question because I'd left Easy Appetite before the X actually took place. What I could just say is that um we're likely going to like close or shelf Easy Appetite and it was really like what value did egg did exist and it was okay we had a couple of like at that point in time about a hundred or more than a hundred restaurants at the time and thousands of of customers who had actually like patronized one restaurant or more and so it was that book of business that existed like again rather than build max eat from scratch where you go talk to every single restaurant to sign a partnership why not just again absorb this book of business and also i think it was just a great way for my co-founder to find a new place to um, continue his, his journey as a as a founder, then turned operator as a CMO at the time. Um, so unfortunately, we like we didn't walk away with bags of money or anything. <laughs> but I think it was just a good ending of that of that story. What we had built was of value to another um, startup who exactly venture into that space um, as well. Um, it's crazy because I mean, years and years after, like it's now that we are, I think we are now seeing people be able to like scratch the surface in that sector. I'm going to say sector, I mean, online food delivery. When I see startups like um, Chow Deck, which happens to be a whole portfolio company, and I, I'm excited because it's like, well, we're not able to like really make massive, here's another era or a new wave of, of startups that are like going at it again. And here we're in a position to actually like back them uh, and make our, our own dreams actually come true. Yeah, thank you. There's no better way to pivot to the conversation around Hook. <laughs> so um, can you tell us what is Hook? And I, I'll just yes. give high level, it's a syndicate, but like, tell us what is a syndicate? How can you describe what a syndicate mm. is and how it works? And then maybe a bit of the Hook evolution. Yeah, so Hulk stands for half of a quarter. Like it took us two minutes to, to come up with the name. I think the philosophy behind the name was more like, yeah, uh, half of a quarter is material enough for you to have the skin in the game so that's 12.5 percent if you will and from around just ownership like it's not too much that you're greedy and the others feel like you're taking too much but it's also enough that you could have teeth in the game but also there's this philosophy as like okay if you have that much then you there's a an expectation that you grow that 12.5 percent or half of a quarter back to a whole and so that was the philosophy of that okay how can we like i said be of value to founders. Joey, who is my partner at Hope, we've um, both been part of startups. So he was part of a startup that got acquired by Stripe Touch Tech. It was head of finance at a company, Easy Appetite at the time. We had mentored and worked with startups just again because we loved to and we really like again want to back founders. But it just felt like I think I'm going to quote, uh, uh, I think is um, the founder of Nala, Benjamin, when he said, the average African founder startup is over mentored and under underfunded. And so we were like, we really have to put our money where our mouth is. Um, but it was going to be hard to do that by ourselves as individuals. So can we rally a community to do this? And so it was very, very experimental. I mean, April, I mean, it was at the, at the start of the pandemic, like when the lockdown started. And we we're like, okay, let's just talk to people in our network. Joe, reach out to 50 people. I reach out to 50 people. We'll make it very easy for them. Guys, we want to like back startups. We found these two startups we want to back. Three options. Are you in for $1,000? Are you out um, because it's not for you? Or should we talk to you? 
like in six months time <laughs> when we have something more solid going and we made it very easy for it just tell us just reply with abc and we got 20 people who said oh yes let's do it and so we raised our first like i think twenty thousand and did our first two deals we're like okay is this is a fluke <laughs> let's try it again and so we did it again i raised twenty five thousand dollars and we did like three deals and uh, we said, okay, I think this is going to be serious. Let's put in the structures in place because we started, we started going from our network to network of network and, and so like friend of friends. And so we said, okay, this cannot be like a handshake, like I trust you kind of thing. Let's put documentation and also we introduced like membership. We got lawyers. We had uh, syndicating um, agreements in place and all that kind of, all, all those things. And we went at it again and again and again and again on a quarterly basis. We'll bring deals to a community and people would opt into those deals. We would host like many founder sessions, write memos and people will participate. And till date, we've actually like deployed about three, $3.2 million uh, in about a hundred deals over the last two and a half years. A community of about a thousand people who've actually like just engaged with us and about 500 who've at least done one deal um, with us uh, and so it started with very very experimental to just see what was there and how could we really back founders beyond the talk and uh, we're glad to see how it's evolved um, over time um, yeah yeah that's pretty amazing 3.2 million is like a lot of money and a thousand people in a community also that's like really crazy you you folks have achieved so much in like what it's been like what two years a little over two years that's really that's really amazing to hear honestly and so i think my question now is you know what has like that experience just running a syndicate what has that been mm. like right like what are yeah. some of the interesting things that you've learned? What are some of the things that you didn't expect to be an issue mm. that, you know, is an actual issue that you have to resolve yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah. Curious to know. Yeah. I, th I think, again, like, having been a founder, I think it's really helped with, again, that user-first thinking or just, again, being user-obsessed, which I think is one of Amazon's values. For mm. us, what I did to be very like not force really wanted to like again be very clear on what we were trying to do here uh, and so it's it's really about enablement for us that's our core principle like how do we enable the operator or founder someone who's re really invested in wanting to see other people succeed um how do we enable them start on their agile investment journey and by doing so enable like more supply of capital that then enables founders to raise easily uh, and enables them to build what they're building that then affects themselves, their employees, and the lives of their customers. And so for us, it was like, that's really been our guiding word principle. And it's really listening to see what people want and what we actually like help deliver on that promise of enablement. And so we have like our AMAs, we have our surveys, we have our like again, um, a lot of forums that we we slack mostly um, for, and we have a lot of channels where we really just want to again make sure people are getting as much value. We know people are starting on their journey uh, at different stages, and so how do we meet them where they are? And now we're thinking that in, into even next year, we actually start introducing like things like just the, like the whole academy around just education. People just again get on their journey. If it has surprised me, I just again how people just grow. We see people started started with just one thousand dollars into a deal. Um, then the 2,000 and 5,000 and the 10,000. And now I even like on cap tables themselves as angels, even outside of Hulk, 
Uh, we have people who have gone on to actually raise funds. They started their journey with Hulk, but now they're raising their own funds or running their own syndicates. Uh, and so we really like want to be that pipeline and that market creator, if you will, for the supply side of capital and do it with friends as well. Like, again, we really like to ca- carry along co-investors, whether it's your Voltron or Ventures platform of Future Africa. Like, if we can do that, it's easier for a founder to close their round easily when we're saying, oh, it's not just Hulk you're talking to now, like, by extension, you're talking to the six, seven um, funds. Um, and when we talk to, again, even, like, larger, like, or later stage funds as well. We're queuing them up as well for their future rounds as well. So uh, that's one thing. The last thing I'll just mention there is just the power of community. I've I've been blown away so many times on the power of community here. And I'll give you an example where a founder will just say, hey, I'm trying to just talk to someone at the, at the FIRS or at the road safety. I will put it in the Slack channel. I'm kidding you not. Like seven people will say, oh, my uncle is married to this. Oh, I know this. And in different degrees of separation to what the need is, like people just jump in are happy to like just make those introductions. Whether they invested in that deal or not, they just want those people to succeed. And so for me, it's like, wow, if you can improve the odds of you succeeding because you have this following and this community you can access um, to unlock doors, to open doors, to be your customers, to give you feedback on your product, to pull capital together. I think it's just it just blows my mind like that the amount, the sheer amount of like again of value that you can get and unlock from the community that is all aligned to 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 to, to deliver on something. Um, so that, that 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 always like blows me up every time we actually put things on portfolio ask or request. Just see people like just selflessly jumping in, uh, whether they back the company or not, just to see them succeed. And so that that's been really good to see over the over the years. That's really amazing. I think for me, when I when I first was introduced to the idea of syndicates, I was just thinking, oh, just like a smaller fund for money, just there's going to provide money. But it's really amazing to see like how much value beyond money a syndicate can provide mm-hmm. to founders and to people building, which just like makes it so much more valuable to have. Yeah, it's just pretty amazing. I'm so the example you shared just has me like in shock. I'm like, wow, that's like an actual thing. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, we've got to credit things like it was someone like had to get a developer at the at Apple. <laughs> like, okay, let's just <laughs> see what we happen. And I someone says, oh yeah, I'm doing my internship at Apple right now. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so it's crazy. Like, I mean, everything. I know, you know, how to say everything is six, six degree of separation. Like, it's crazy. Like, how you just like find the paths and the maps to unlocking those things that you need the partnership. And even within our, within our portfolio, when you see, like, again, companies working with other companies, um, cross-selling and really work, like, it really makes me happy that, like, again, a community of companies, a community of founders, of operators can really, like, make the, like, like the impossible. Like, and and for me, I, I mean, one, one thing I'm still hoping for, like, for me is, so, like, the day where these operators, like, who are community members or, or syndicate members of Hulk, even become employees at these startups that they're backing. Because I think... Where you see like people then say, oh yeah, like I've been, I've had a good run at Google and Airbnb and Facebook. I just want to just go join this next wave of again startups in Africa and all, and seeing that again you've been part of their journey. You've seen, you, I mean, you're an angel in their in their round. You've seen their investor updates and all. Like okay, like yeah, I want to go do like head of finance, so I want to be head of people. I want to just go lead their like engineering and all. That's something again we yet to see. But I'm hoping again from a talent point of view. We see that repatriation of talent and skills from from the diaspora um, um, into into those African startups as well. 
I'm really excited about this. This is also exciting. I think the possibilities are truly endless. I still believe that like Hulk Academy can also be like a really huge game changer for people. Like, I think it's just really great to see like the am- amazing things that can come out of just like the syndicates, right? It's going yeah. beyond the check. Yeah. Um, so you've had experience um, founding a startup. You've had experience operating in a stand- startup, um, and now you're running a syndicate. I'm just curious to know, like, how different, different, especially like the experience running the startup and running the syndicates. I'm curious to know, like, how different they are, like pros and cons. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're quite similar, actually. Now that I think about it, like, yeah, it's it it quite similar, like, because I mean, you have, co- I mean, I would say customers, but we have members, but then you, I mean, you're there to serve them. They're they're paying for a service. You have to deliver on that. Um, the expectation, their support, they have to provide. It's quite similar. I think the, perhaps the only difference here would be perhaps the motion in the syndicate is clearly defined and it just, again, turning that wheel over. Like I said, we have like quarterly round of deals that we do. So we standardize a lot of things. Why for a startup, we really have to be adaptable and just, again, be a, <laughs> expect curveballs every now and then, um, perhaps create partner or through your customer or through the vendor as well because again the startup was more of a marketplace um kind of thing but it's also very similar there are a lot of similarities there as well around just again um the operations the admin so we are very lucky to have a team a team of venture partners uh, we have a team of um like someone that helps with, like, with our administration um someone that helps with community management so yeah same thing at the startup again we had start we had the team as well who we were taking care of different areas of the business as well so it is quite similar like um perhaps one difference would be like we're not fundraising for ourselves at least not yet that could change <laughs> um but we're not fundraising for ourselves we're fundraising uh, public capital for for startups um so that's good i think also perhaps the, there's a long term there's a longer term play for the syndicate versus a startup. So the startup, I mean, you're, you're it's long term as well. But I mean, it takes to say seven, eight years for you to really like <laughs> break through and 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 become formidable as a startup. But for for a syndicate, like again, you, you're making long term bets. Um, you're looking at what the future would look like in the long term, and you're betting that again, founders in your backing can actually build that. Um, so there's also less control, if you will, in a syndicate versus a startup. Uh, startup, you're driving your destiny, and you're you're the one at the helm of the of the ship, and all. While for a syndicate, you're like two degrees away from your destiny, so you're trusting that you're making the right bet into the right founders, who then will steer the ship <laughs> to the promised land. So I think being more trusting and being able to like um um like losing your control or grip on things, I think is one thing that comes with the syndicate versus a startup as well. It's pretty amazing. So let's let's talk more about the startup you fund. So I'm sure our listeners would really love to know, you know, how you decide on what kind of startups um to bring to the syndicates, like just the process and also just the criteria. Like what are some of the things that you look out for? Yeah, um so a couple of factors. Um so like I said, we we try to be clear what we're not. So we're not a uh we're not a fund. We're not a we're not a invest we don't invest in real estate or things like that. So we try to be very clear upfront as to what we are. So we invest in tech or tech enabled venture backable startups. Uh, and so what that means is that there has to be like at least some tech elements there. We have a CTO, you're building an app, a platform, software. So there has to be just tech or tech enabled. And we look at things that have like 
going after like large opportunities so if you say oh, your market size is like 1000 people that's not going to be exciting for us um so it has to be like large enough of a market that again you can actually like get into and then grow and for us the magic i would say magic number but we look at like this like half a million to a billion um sorry half a billion to a billion um dollars um for market size um, although in early stages, market sizing is more of an art and science. Um, but again, we'll, we'll just like try to make us a large opportunity. Also, uh, I would say technical know-how is a big thing for us. So where does that to be a, someone who actually like has either domain expertise, um, knows the space really well, but also has technical know-how. So because we like technology is really leverage and you could go faster. You could really like iterate and build and really adapt uh, to what customers are saying if you have that. Or like if you say that, oh, sorry, we're outsourcing all our tech to India, for example, that's going to be a harder sell. I would say the last thing is actually that, that just that X factor, which is conviction. I really believe that the best founders are pretty correctly like convinced. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skill that I think you need because you're convincing so many stakeholders. You're convincing the co-founder to join you on this journey. You're convincing employees to join you to build what you're building. You're convincing customers to trust you like when you're building solve their problem they're convincing investors to give you money to actually like again scale or to scale what you're building so there's a lot of convincing there and i think the best startups uh, founders or startups are the ones who actually can help build conviction pretty quickly and so we have to look out for that as well because it's not just us but you need to convince so many people on this journey um even for your exit you have to convince that you'll be something of value for someone to actually like acquire or perhaps i don't know ipo that's not something we look at anyway, but or someone's actually like give you more money as you're scaling and growing. Um, so I think those things are factors I would look at. And so we try to articulate those things in our memos that we bring to the community. Um, and um, yes, once there's enough buy-in, one thing that differentiates like a syndicate from a fund is that it, it, it's about, it's, it's a people and numbers game. And so you'll be surprised that I will see some deals. I'm like, wow, this is going to be like a short banker. Everybody will going to like oversubscribe this deal. How we bring it and it's all crickets. Nobody, nobody bites. And there's some deals where you're like, ah, I don't know if this will fly you, but let's just bring it, yeah. We'll bring it any oversubscribes in like in hours. And so it's really about, again, the wisdom of, of the crowd, if you will. And people will join for different reasons. They believe in it for more trending fintech for example so yeah we we see that and we just again try not to be gatekeepers and bring as many deals that actually meet the bar and people decide if they want in or not yeah yeah that's actually very interesting i think it's the way as an investor you look at certain deals and then you're like yeah no not really and then three months later you see some round announcement on TechCrunch, and then you see some of like the investors you like best <laughs> invested on it. So it's kind of the way, um, I think the blind man analogy with the elephant, that's kind of how it is with investors sometimes. So sometimes you see the trunk and you're seeing a rope and someone else sees a tree from the legs. Ah, uh, yes. So still talking a bit about Hook, I know um, it's kind of public knowledge that there is a bit of a transition into a fund. So um, could you share a bit more about that process and maybe the synergies that then will exist between the fund and the syndicates? Just walk us through that process. Yeah, um, so yeah, it's definitely not news. I'll just give context as to like how the fund idea came about. So again, we've been doing deals with syndicates for a couple of years now and we've seen a lot of deals that were like, 
Yeah, um, because again, like, like traction is one thing that we that we believe is a strong signal for a syndicate type deal where people actually see progress over time. But then we see some people are like, okay, like yes, you have traction in the like defined ways like revenue or customers, but the attraction for us could be really like salient well or like that. Oh, okay, I have this partnership. I've figured this out. I've put this in place, and so we're like, okay, how can we actually like get into some of those deals earlier? Um, where is that we okay, can give this guy $25,000 or like I'm making up a number now, but give this guy some, some capital and three to six months and it will be in a better place that the syndicates will be more interested in this. And so that was really the fun idea came about. We were like, okay, how can we come in early? Because we had, we had, we had seen trends with some, some founders where we were like, we had said no because of the stage they were in. But then we're like, okay, well, we said no to them, but then we'll say yes to them in six months time or in nine months time. What can we say yes to them now at a cheaper price um, and just work with them and be part of their journey to that point and, and, and also the fund was actually to do three main things. First, to actually get in earlier on set deals where again, we have, we see those signals and we can actually again invest much more earlier at a cheaper valuation. Um, and really work with the founder. Second of all, was actually to double down on the deals that we do make at those stages or with the with the fund uh, or with the syndicate, or we can co-invest with the syndicate. Because sometimes we see some deals where, yes, the syndicate like, comes in, but they're still allocation, so can we actually get those allocations? And then the third, in the long term, was actually like to facilitate secondaries, where, okay, we, have, we see a great deal because, but then people have entered this deal, like, again, like, 36 months ago and they want some liquidity can we actually just buy them out of their position if we really st- feel strongly about um, this deal again so going on to make more multiples in, in follow-on funding rounds so that was the whole like strategy for the fund uh, and so yes we actually like kicked that off so we've had to like to actually restructure that in a way where joy and myself are uh, focused on the syndicate and we've brought on a third party to run the fund to avoid like a conflict and conflict of interest and things like that. So we're currently working through that as well right at, at this stage. The whole thing or the handshake between the two, like I said, is like the fund comes in earlier and then co-invest as well with the syndicate and then also allows for liquidity events for syndicate participants as well through secondaries. Uh, and that's how, that's how we're looking at it, yeah. I really love how there's synergy between both and it's not really like, an entirely separate entity, but an entity that essentially makes the syndicate work better. <laughs> That's exactly really great. Um, so learning a bit more in your interactions with startups, um, as someone who interfaces with a lot of early stage startups, uh, what's one of your favorite startups that you've interacted with and or invested in and why? And maybe you can share one of those, the one that got away stories that every investor has. <laughs> Ah. It's like you have to pick people a favorite child, right? There's always a favorite child. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a favorite. It could just be Thanks. maybe one of the startups that you like a mm-hmm. lot. And it could be because of what they're building, traction. It doesn't necessarily have to be because of funds they've raised. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. I like what Simple is building. So, And I mentioned Simple because we did not invest in Simple. So that Simple is also one of the ones I got away. <laughs> I like what Simple is building because I think for a long time, we've just assumed by startups that by by default that SaaS does not work in Africa. I don't know where, why. I don't know where that came from. 
Um, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying the answer is like, yes, it does work, but I think we need more startups to prove to us if SaaS is viable um, on the continent. So I like simple because it tackles a problem that I think is relatable, which is again, like just conversational, like commerce and support and engagement, which I think again, every business needs. The more you engage with your customers, the more you can actually like target, sell, upsell, um, I think there's one story I heard a, a while back where it was like during the lockdown, barbers in New York and, and San Francisco were selling vouchers for future sales of aircuts. But your barber in Ujua um, Legba likely just locked down the shop and did not make any money time during that time. And that's because, again, the lack of engagement that exists between customers, um, between merchants and their customers. And so I like simple and, again, building a a layer that allows for that to happen, but also it will allow for, again, transactions and, and um, like conversational commerce to also happen as well. Um, I knew of Simple when they were like raising their family and friend round. Yeah, I just, it just kept falling off the radar and we we'll tried to meet and it wouldn't happen. And next thing I, I saw that they announced a $1 million seed round, um, pre-seed round, not even seed, pre-seed round. And I was like, whoo. <laughs> We slept on that one, didn't we? Um, so um, yeah, I think yeah that that that, that was that's definitely one. Um, I would say one big lesson though that I've taken so far from that from my experience so far is just again getting to know the people behind the startups because I think we get sucked in into the decks and the and the vibes and yeah the valuations and yeah the tech and stuff. But the more and more I've done this, I think the more and more I get to know the person building this and why they're building this and what's their story and what's their motivation. I think for me, that was actually becoming, starting to become more and more of a stronger signal as to if, you, if it's worth backing this person or not. Because I'm pretty, at the early stage, it's just more like, okay, do you believe this person has what it takes to figure this thing out? Uh, and in the case of Simple, it took me a long time. People think you just raised that $1 million like overnight, but I know colleagues had been at that for a very long time, for a very, very, very long time. And so, um, I mean, getting to know him as a person, it now made a lot of sense why it took that long, um, and just how he, he was, his, his perseverance was able to make him break through all of those things because it, was, it wasn't fintech, and everyone was giving money to fintech. Nobody was really believing in SaaS at the time, and even till now, like SaaS is still still the underdog, if you will. But uh, I like that he's going at it, and I, I, again, I want to just see that proven that if SaaS is viable at this building from Africa for its local market, but also for an international market as well. Um, so yeah, I would say that that's a favorite startup that we did not invest in. Um, and also answers the other question as like, which one I got it, which one got away. Um, yeah. You mentioned something. Okay, go ahead, Yemi. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I really understand what you were saying in terms of some of your reservations around SaaS. And, and you can clarify if that's your thought process. It's kind of the questions around does Africa need its own SaaS business for X or are you just competing with all the global players with Africa as your case? And this actually reminds me, um, one of the earlier interactions we had was after we invested in Simless HR, which is a SaaS business. And you invited me to discuss with the hook syndicate around our thought process around it. So mm -hmm. we're just clarifying whether that's the same direction that you think in regarding <laughs> SaaS business. There are some... So, yes, I mean, it's a little bit of that, but I think for me, it's more like, do Africans pay for SaaS? Like, that's just, like, would, would, would someone actually pay on a monthly basis for something? 
like rather than me paying you once or you invoice me for when I use something. So PayPal users, like will people actually just say, yes, charge me X amount per month. So your Spotify. So even when I say SaaS, I mean like recurring payment. Like the Africans consume things and want, and, and want to pay for it on a recurring basis. Um, your Spotify, your Netflix and all. I think that. And then should people be building things of that nature? Um, so I, I think it's less of the the what they're building, but how they're building for it. Yeah. Okay. Yami, did you want to follow up? <laughs> I was just like, agreeing with what we were saying. So it's kind of like a very big um, consumer behavior thing where sometimes Africans are angry that they are being charged for a subscription product. Like mm-hmm. I've heard some people say things like a consumer would say, you know what? You want to bill me every month? I would use X bank account where if I don't want you to collect my money this month, I would just not put money in. <laughs> this is actually a true story from a startup founder like, when talking <laughs> with consumers. And I'm, I'm very sad to say this, but this actually even reflects how I work with my gym subscription because it's almost impossible to pause it. So I have this mm-hmm. secondary account where when I want to pay, the money is there. When I don't pay, I can't access the gym, which is fine. <laughs> I don't want to be charged. I mean, because like I mean, in the West, like everybody like allows you to pause your or cancel your subscription anytime you want to. So I think again, like yeah, I think there's definitely is your behavior there. But I also think I think like just about like how do we just rethink subscription for our use case for our cultural context as well. Um, Somebody has said, like, why can't you just make it easier if I'm in a, I'm in a household of, like, three guys in an apartment? So why can't you split our Spotify subscription or split our, like, Netflix and all? For the gym, if I'm out of town for three months, why am I keep paying for my gym subscription when I can just pause it when I'm out of town? But, yeah, again, like I said, I'm happy to see some people build SaaS businesses so that we can actually, like, at least answer the question, is it viable? Can it be done? Can it not be done? And people are people are building banking products and want to actually, they want to charge monthly for for their for banking. So you're actually paying a monthly fee to bank. And I'm really excited about that. Like, let's see, will it work? Like, because if it does work, that just changes everything. Yeah, I just want to highlight that in the West, they are also very badly behaved subscription businesses, <laughs> like New York Times. Just putting it out there. Why do I have to send an email <laughs> to cancel my subscription? <laughs> As, yeah. as somebody with like an economics background i'm just even really thinking about these things um just thinking about like even the west like there was a time where they didn't really have subscriptions right so they had to learn the behavior so i'm wondering if it's just a thing that we just need to just like continue applying pressure and that people would learn that okay you have to pay for things every month and then it gets normalized because even like moving from, and I think maybe you should be able to relate to this too, as somebody that kind of just like lived in Nigeria for a while and then moved to the West and had to relearn that, okay, it's normal to pay for Spotify to listen to music every month. It's normal. Like, so when you see using WAP trick. <laughs> yeah, it, it did also take me time. But it's the thing where like now, like I'm very open to like paying for products, right? So I think it might also just be a thing of applying pressure. I'm thinking of from it about it from two sides. It could be a thing of just applying pressure and teaching them a new behavior, or trying to figure out a way to modify like pricing and and packaging services to meet like 
But I feel like the latter is just going to be an uphill battle. I mean, there's definitely a consumer user dichotomy here. Like, I don't think we can agree on the same page. Like, the moment Microsoft said you need to pay monthly subscriptions, like, I had to take two steps back and I'm like, what is this? Like, back then you buy Microsoft, you get your license, you have it forever, you're good. And I think for markets where there's more money to spend, it's a bit less in burden. But then you imagine, uh, what's the Nigerian um, minimum wage? I don't remember, but imagine oh, someone... Like 18K, I think, yeah. Exactly. From 18K, you first pay for Spotify, I think it's like one five four. one five. That's 10%. <laughs> <laughs> like, what music am I listening to? It's <laughs> mm, like, music, but you know not And there's a good chance that for the average person, like, so from music, for example, you're probably not listening to more than three, four, five albums on repeat in a month. Like, give me some Ashake and Burner Boy and I'm good to go. Spotify rap has proved it. So I, I think that then begs the question of um, why we need more African um, businesses trying trying out like SM, SaaS um, products because yeah. I find that like these products are not priced for the average african they are priced for like the average american who can afford to who already spends like ten dollars on like mcdonald's so like spending ten dollars on music is fine right but like you know asking me an average african to spend ten dollars on on, on, on yeah. music is going to be like bro why you what are you what are you yeah. doing which is yeah. why i think that we need these products because like um local products will factor the average um the average income raise would factor the minimum wage and then try to price things in a way that is more affordable for the average Nigerian. And then through that, we can teach them that behavior. And as you know, by God's grace, it will be, will change our economy. As the economy improves, um, we're able to then like begin to charge more and then make money off of people. But this is like a very huge tangent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the last time I was just on this is just like, yeah, we, we've not had enough data to show what what is possible, what's viable. It's, just, I mean, there are a lot of SaaS companies coming out of the woodworks now. I mean, I could, I could I could think of like ten of them on the top of my head who are doing really well from an MRR point of view. They're selling locally, so they're selling to like B two B, look other to other companies, but also internationally as well. So people are actually like patronizing them and they're charging in USD. Um, I think it's fair to just call out that again. Most of these people are building SaaS on international like infrastructure so that you know the AWSs they're using their their Twilio and things like that and um if that's going to be in USD and all like it's going to be really hard to build like locally uh, in a viable way I'm not pushing for like nationalism on infrastructure like China or anything like we have our own internet our own servers and all but I think for me it's just like I'm just happy that again now we can actually like have those experiments uh, on a large scale, have those data points to prove what's working, what's not working. Even like the similar that um um Yemi mentioned, like it's it's good to have that and see okay, like is that viable over the long term? And if that then can we just repl- replicate that blueprint for other kind of companies? But I think again, like you said, time will tell. Um and time also does help change behavior, like ordering food online was definitely not a thing i was going to be like almost semi-probable airbnb as well was like what well, strangers in my house but now that's like that's a norm now so yeah, i think also time will also help with adjusting some of these things as well yeah for sure i completely agree with you on the topic of 
uh, underrated or underexplored um, verticals. Mm. Um, I'm curious to know, like, what are some of the um, spaces in the African tech space, like the verticals in the African tech space that you think um, are underexplored um, and that you're maybe curious about or interested in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think for me, I'm a big believer in like in the digital economy. So, whatever we make people just participate uh, and play a role. Um, I think a few things, uh, a few tenets are quite quite important or critical. Payments is one which we've we've seen a lot of progress in. It's not so fixed, so payment is still broken, um, in my opinion. Um, but again, as we've seen, we've seen a lot of progress. Um, of course, definitely on a national level nip um and all with again fintechs wave of fintechs that are coming up as well um, targeting different segments and all but i i think fundamentally like around opening up opening things up so cross-border so within african between african countries and then africa to the world or africa corridor with other like um, markets um that's still very much broken um with crypto save the day, um, it remains to be seen. But yeah, that's um, it's, it's early days to make that call. Um, I think the other tenet is uh, is logistics. Uh, we've seen a lot of progress there, but I think it's more on a very heavy duty, high level kind of um, st- stage that um, there's a lot of progress that has to be made on the last mile, and really on an infrastructural, even like even API programmatic like logistics, if you will, where it's a uh, it's marketplace where it's your you're leveraging again humans, vehicles, just networks um, to to again move goods and services. Um, so that's one area I think we've made some progress as well, but it's lagging behind payments and it's definitely not where it's meant to be uh, for us to really allow for for opening commerce up. Um, so yeah, that that's definitely at the top of the list. I think aside from those those two, I would say definitely like education and health is another. I love what Art School is doing. Um, I think that came after Adela as well. So yeah, shout out to Adela for what they did. Uh, I think they are more like John the Baptist and then Jesus is Art School. Again, sorry for that, not very poor analogy. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, uh, yeah, education, just really, really, rad- like really rethinking education, educating Africans for the, today's realities, for what we need for a global economy, but, but also for it, like again, an underground realities. What are the jobs? So when I say educate, I mean like your tilers, your your bricklayers, your carpenter, your electrician. I mean that that for me is also education as well, not just software and hardware. Like again, we need we need those people, your, your artisans, your tailors, your shoemakers uh, as well. Um, so again, how do we we think education and make it really scalable? Um, as such, but of course, soft power as well. Like again, coding, writing, communication, those soft skills, um, sales, support, uh, and things like that, BPOs, and also that's one area. But then from a health front, I think it's just more like just accessibility, the coupling of the customer and the user. I think for a long time we just lumped those two things, but I think over time the customer for health is not really going to be the user, and so how do we? So for that, where again, I here in Ireland and you, Damien in Canada, could pay for your dad's or my mom's um, like insurance or health insurance or checks or things like that. Um, where again, I could gift that, I could do that, I could pay for their insurance or health insurance as well. So I think again, just being able to just make that as fluid and easy as possible. I know a couple of people are going at that. Your raw health, um, your 
Reliance and the other like again, um, Flurry, um, and some interesting HMOs are going at it. But I think that will be a very interesting one to see over over the years as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this has been such a good conversation. From your experience, what would you say separates um, the top startups from others? And you've worked and invest. You've worked with built startups and invested in <laughs> over the past decade i'd say so what would you think separates the top startups from the others i'll say three things the first one is i think i mentioned it the last time i'm just conviction a average founder who can convince people would do fairly well compared to like a superstar founder who has zero like can, can build zero conviction and so you can be in your head and you know the best solution to it. but if you can't convince stakeholders to get on that journey with you to the promise line i think it's going to be really it's going to be a happy battle i think it's good for founders to be aware of that and see if they need to bring people on board whether in their early teams their early stages as well um so for stripe patrick and john they brought in billy billy alvarado who were able to like talk to the banks and convince them because when it was just them, it was just like, oh, just these two guys trying to be the bank, like, what did they know? So I think it's good to be very self-aware if you have that power of conviction, and because you will need it to, like, hire talent. People will come work for you for half the pay. <laughs> uh, you need to convince investors to write you a check. You need to convince partners to work with you. I think it's really a superpower that I think, again, really separates the winners from the bunch. So that's one. I think another one is like people will focus on the business as a whole. So you people get so married with the problem and solution that they forget that the business is actually people. And so culture is really a big one as well. Um, how intentional are you about again your first ten hires? Um, and the culture you're trying to build and what matters for you as a tribe, as a people, as a group. Because when you don't pay attention to that, you have problems down the line. You have co-founders issues. You have like people like living high turnover. You have a very toxic and bad culture because you've just let things slide. And they, they never start out as bad as when they get out. But again, they start little by little. Someone made a comment here. Someone said something there. Someone acted somehow to somebody and they're like, ah, yeah, the best, our best is our top salesperson. Or is like, oh, he's our top engineer. Like, like if you condone those things, they, I mean, <laughs> I heard, heard someone say, oh, they started up by cutting corners when they were early, in their early days. I thought they would clean up acts as they scaled. And I was like, what? <laughs> they would clean up. Like when you scale and you get investor money, you have, the stakes are higher. So you cut more corners. And so I think culture, again, those who, Pay attention to their culture and the kind of companies you want, the company you want to build. Um, I think really we really stand the test of time. Uh, and the last one I'll just mention is again just I'll say just like that, just that resilience and and um, having that clear mission uh, or vision. I think that's where like leadership comes into play as well, or even even things like mentorship uh, and having like again um, role models and examples of companies and and blueprints of both good and bad. Uh, I think that's very important. But again, like those. Being clear on those things really help focus. Uh, there's a, a video around uh, Infinity Games versus Finance Games, and so when you're competing, like and I know you all, you all know this, but startups in Africa likely come they come in threes or fours, where you have like four companies doing the same thing. But if you keep looking at your left and your right and like, oh, who's what is this person this person do? What is this person doing? You really get to into this game of like, okay, let's just like keep adding features or let's keep cutting our cost or our pricing. But if you're in this infinite game, I was like, okay, 
I'm building for this purpose. I'm building for this vision or this mission that we have. You really get to focus and go at your pace, even though you seem slow, even though you seem, oh, your, comp- your computers are fired of you. You keep going at it, and in the long, in the long run, you're 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 fighting you're fighting against yourself, your yesterday self to be a better self today, as a company, as a, as a group. And so, I think just having that focus. What is our mission? What is our mandate? What do we want to do? Um, keeps everybody aligned. Um, and so we get to recap, just again, conviction, if someone can convince people to join on the journey, culture, um, and then you know, just having that clear mission to, to stay focused. That's pretty amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. As you were talking, I was just taking mental notes that all oh, these are things that I want to work on. Want to really <laughs> so thank you so much for, for sharing all those really amazing gems. Um, so... Um, what advice would you give to someone that is hoping to, you know, start a syndicate or to work closely with startup? You know, with somebody that has seen all the like all the sides. I wouldn't say most of the sides, but you've seen all the sides. You've seen the founder side, the operator side, the investor side. As someone that's you know um, that has that experience, what kind of advice would you give to to somebody that you know might want to? hop into syndicate work and build their own syndicate or, you know, just continue working very closely in supporting startups? I would say just, again, do it. Um, I think it's a very fulfilling and very gratifying thing to do, probably when things work out. And even when things don't work out, like at least you know you've done something and other people will, like, will feel like they are first startup and then by the time they start their second startup, they just, again, pull you along uh, as well. And so it is gratifying um, to, to help people I think for me, it's kind of it's a new level of joy and satisfaction. Like when I succeed, I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. When you are part of someone else's success, like it is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, so that's definitely one thing. I would say just begin, but try to be clear in the value that you offer. Uh, and so I, I try to be clear when, when people actually say, oh, I need help. I'm like, can you try to articulate what you need? What What's keeping you up at night? What if you actually, if you solve these three things today, you'll be 10x where you need to be. And it could be around hiring. It could be around partnerships. It could be around fundraising. So try to be clear in what startups need to move from zero to one. And again, find ways in which you or your network can help deliver on that. And I'll just say again, just have fun doing it as well, like because you don't want it to be a boring task. Like where it's like, oh, this is not a chore. I think there's some enjoy, some level of um, of joy and just again happiness that should come from, because uh, it's a hard thing to build companies. And so if you then you then become also another point of pain or or stress for the founder, then it's not really helping. But if you're more of a, oh, this person is actually helping me navigate and build and and stay light and stay happy and stay positive i think that would be something i would i would recommend as well yeah joint networks a lot of like networks um groups community events accelerators looking for mentors syndicates like really define your expertise and how you can really help and just again volunteer put your hands up um say you can help you're available and and willing to to help uh, as well yeah yeah, um, listening to you, it's obvious that there are a lot of lessons that you've learned through the journey. Looking back, what's one thing that you'll change from your journey so far? Or what will you share with Mavis Bacon newbie as a gem to hold up? <laughs> Buy Google stocks. <laughs> Apple stocks, Google stocks. Buy Bitcoin in 2012. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's, um, 
just thoughts, just thoughts. I think a couple of things we drag our feet on. Um, when we then start, we're like, why did I just start a little bit earlier <laughs> than, than when, than when? So I think just starting, um, because yeah, it, it is daunting. I mean, again, at the start of pandemic, starting a syndicate, like what were we thinking? Um, but it, it worked out. It worked out well. Um, and um, I know again, the fund when that started as well, it was like, geez, like it's, we're going through a recession. We're starting the fund. Like, what's going on? Well, yeah, we're we're going through it. And again, we brought in help, and we've stepped back to focus on the syndicate, so we don't let our members suffer. Um, so just start, and um, I think um, that's one thing I would say. Um, just just start just start yeah <laughs> that's amazing i even yeah. hold on to that just starts because even for this podcast there have been so many versions and reworks of this that just never happened and then suddenly <laughs> pushed to just start and then here we are having great conversations with amazing yeah. people it's really it's really great um thank you so much i think we've come to an end um We've come to the end of this conversation and this has been such an insightful one for me i have learned so so much i've learned about companies i did not know of before <laughs> honestly like the sabunta i was like oh that's the beginning of dream like i didn't know that they were so I mean, you. we know this it's okay <laughs> it's okay it's okay i joined the ecosystem what 2016 2015 let me hear what but you know, I've learned so, so much from this conversation. I've learned so much from your experience. And I just like, you're just giving us so, so much gems. And I'm just so, so grateful that we had the opportunity to chat with you. And I hope that, you know, we get to have more of these conversations. Hopefully another one with you. And then just with, and also with just really amazing people um, that are doing really amazing work in our ecosystem. So thank you so much for um, honoring our invite and for sharing, you know, about your life and your experiences with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It's definitely been a, an amazing journey. And um, I'm old, but I have, <laughs> I have a long way to go. As well. um, so definitely looking forward to the next chapter as well. And uh, yeah, but thanks so much for the opportunity to, because for me, this has also, also been like somewhat therapeutic to reflect, if you will, uh, on the on the journey so far. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad um, things, were, things have worked out so far. And uh, yeah, despite all odds, we, we're here. And I'm glad you guys also launched this podcast as well so yeah look forward to see how all this plays out thank yeah, you like standard subscribe like share <laughs> if you're looking to join and start investing in startups also let me just put a quick hook out here like h-o-a-q newbie what's the website club. 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 You got it. like reach out and then start in this. Oh, I read his medium. Oh my God, you guys, his medium has so many gems. Like he, he spoke about it in passing, but like he, like there are a lot of gems there. If you really want to learn more about the ecosystem, his experience, like check out his medium, but also join the hoax club. Um, I'm like hoax, hoax, hoax. I, did yeah. well, I mean, I, I hope, I hope it's like we're saying, we're saying, yeah, I guess we are saying, but yeah. Um, <laughs> all right thanks Thank for staying you. with us today the abbreviation is like however you pronounce it i hate you aq i mean least you have you have some bloopers for your podcast as well yeah just two minutes of me trying to pronounce it <laughs> 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 all 
Oh my seriously man, like it's not there anymore. So that's a wrap guys. Um <laughs> love to have you at the next episode from